everyone, and welcome to another new episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me as always is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you on this fine, fine New Year's weekday? Oh, hey, sir, Alan of the Roundtable. I am, I am in the future. It is a new year. It's 2022, and so far, it's, it's gangbusters. Well, it took all of six days for that to fail last year. So we'll see how it goes this year. You know, baby steps. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I guess there's only one way we can go and that's up. That's right. That's the yeah. correct way to look at it. The, yes, it is. Yep. So happy new year to you. Happy new year to our viewers at home, of course. Yep. We're here today to talk about season four, episode three, Born and Raised. Born and Raised. Yeah. So, of course, uh, speaking of Leslie, and we'll get into that here in a bit. This episode has a runtime of 21 minutes and 34 seconds and first aired on October 6, 2011, Mark. Wow. Yeah. So been a few few days since then, but still uh, still a good episode. Absolutely. Uh, this episode was also directed by Dean Holland, one of our favorite uh, directors of oh, Parks yeah. and Rec. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Directed many episodes and was written by Aisha Murar. Uh, this is Aisha's fourth of 14 total episodes that she wrote. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She was also a producer on Parks and Rec and a writer-producer on The Good Place. Nice. Yeah. So good to have her back. Yep. Well, Mark, should we get into the synopses? Let's get into the synopses. I like it. All right. Well, I had uh, an a, a story, B story, and C story. That is incorrect. But please proceed. Oh, dear. So this is this is a tricky one because I felt like a lot of these storylines kind of interwove. Did you watch Loki? Have we covered that yet? <sighs> I have watched some and it's just making me angry. Well, you know how the timeline fractures and splinters? Yeah. I feel like that's what happened with the storylines here more than them being actual storylines. They're like related themes on a storyline. I guess that's probably true, but I, 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 I think that the A, the B and the C story in my world wouldn't exist if the A story didn't exist. But I felt like there was enough meat there. I wanted to try Fair to enough. separate them. All right, let's see what you got. So we'll see if the if the if the TVA you know comes yes. and prunes my something or other <laughs> there. All right. So I have my A story as the inaccuracy heard round the world or at least the county. That's good. Leslie wrote a book called Pawnee, the greatest town in America, and she's promoting it on Pawnee today, hoping Joan Calamezzo will put her book club sticker on it, guaranteeing high sales and helping Leslie's campaign in the process. Before Leslie goes on the show, an anonymous source claims there is an inaccuracy in the book, which <gasps> I know, which Leslie en enlists the gang to find, trying to avoid Joan revealing it as a form of gotcha uh, mm. journalism. Yeah. When Leslie goes on Pawnee today, Joan reveals the inaccuracy. Leslie born and raised. Nope. Was not born in Pawnee. <gasps> and because she lied, Joan refuses to put her book club sticker on it. What will happen? Is it true that Leslie wasn't born in Pawnee? If so, where was Leslie actually born? Who is the anonymous source that provided the tip? Stay tuned to find out. Dot, dot, dot. I like it. All right. So, so far, so good-ish. Yeah, we, we're in agreement. That is the A storyline. All right. Well, here we, here we go. So, my, I have my B story as book clubs make strange bedfellows, sometimes literally. Yeah. Knowing how important it could be for her book to receive Joan Calamezzo's book club sticker leslie has hired entertainment 720 and by extension tom to make this happen 
Tom is confident he can charm Joan into putting her sticker on the book because he always playfully flirts with Joan. However, things get more complicated when A, the book's inaccuracy comes out, and B, Joan makes it known that she is divorcing her husband. Uh Uh-oh. How will this turn out? Will Tom convince Joan to give Leslie's book the sticker? How many drinks does it take for Joan to refer to Tom as an adorable hunk of caramel? Can Ben help prevent things from escalating between Tom and Joan? Stick around. All will be revealed. Dot, dot, dot. I I feel like that that was part of the A storyline and a splinter of it. It it was, but you you know how I kind of thought about it is it seemed like they had certain characters, in this case, Tom and Ben, kind of paired up for a a significant number of scenes that it it kind of felt like it had its own Its own gravity. Yeah. All right. You know what? I'll buy it. Judges, they say you're fine. (laughs) Happy New Year. This is your one. (laughs) (laughs) It was by judges. Do we mean the three TVA lizard people? Yes. Okay. Yes, clearly. Awesome. All right. So here's the C story, which we'll hope the lizard people will be okay with too, which I entitled Small Talk Anne's Pipe Dream. Very nice. When preparing to go on Pawnee today to talk about her book, Leslie asks the gang to help her fact check the details, and Anne is teamed up with Ron and April to find whatever they can. Although Ron and April are traditionally stoic and silent, especially to her, Anne is determined to win them over with kindness and get them to actually have a conversation with her. What will happen? Will April let Anne sit by her? Can Ron finally whittle alone in silence the way God intended? Does Anne have a secret weapon up her sleeve? Hang in there, podcast viewers. Only time will tell. Dot, dot, dot. I like it. Nice job, Mark. Yeah, that that was a tough one because I, I agree with you. A lot of this was kind of just part of the main one, but yeah. I thought, meh. We'll go this route. I, I feel like that one was my B storyline, by the way. So I, I feel definitely like that was the second story that could have technically stood on its own under any circumstance. So, uh, but the first one, you're right. I mean, there's enough departure that it could have also been other circumstances. So yeah, yeah there you go. The, the lizards agree. <laughs> oh, you lizards. You're so nice. <laughs> you haven't seen the end of Loki, <laughs> but we won't talk about that right Yikes. now. Yeah. Well, Mark, should we do our AKAs real quick and then we'll move into the breakdown? Yeah, let's do that. Well, I think I must have mentally channeled uh, whatever shenanigans you said because I only have two AKAs. Me too. All yeah. right. And, and I don't even know what storylines they're from. It doesn't but matter. I, I'm, I think I'm also channeling our uh, our efforts from yeah. the last episode, I was which ask is you, do you why remember? try? Why try? Why try? Yep. It's our mantra for 2022. Why try? It certainly is. <laughs> All right. So my, my runner up is from Ben. And mm. this is when he and Tom are attempting to schmooze Joan um, and things are going very oddly. And um, <laughs> Joan excuses herself and, you know, Tom seems alarmed at something. And Ben says, and I quote, I don't know, seems to be going the usual amount of gross. <laughs> uh, I almost picked it. It's such a great <laughs> line, really? isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, of all the measurement sticks to have, yeah. the usual amount of gross. Yeah, the usual amount of gross. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's my runner up. And so my my uh, my main AKA is from Leslie, definitely from the the A story, I suppose. And it's it's when Joan, as as we revealed in the synopsis, Joan reveals that, you know, oh my gosh, you're not you're not born in, in Pawnee, you know, gotcha. And then yeah. apparently these these dancers come out on the show and and the theme song and it's just this big carnival happens on scene and, and all Leslie can do is go, oh, 
God, not the gotcha dancers. Ugh, <laughs> not again. So that's my main AKA. Nice. How about you? Nice. Um, I had two as well. Uh, I, and I don't, again, why well, try? So I don't care what storylines they're from. Yep, there you go. But I like this, Alan. One of them happens uh, while they're on a visit to a uh, uh, an adjacent town, I'll just say. I don't mm-hmm. give any spoilers away yet. Nope. Uh, we meet a, a very lovely character named Alexis. Mm. <laughs> and she's just really peppy yeah. and seems to want to be helpful. Mm-hmm. You've met this person, Mark. Yeah. And you know, truly they don't really want to be helpful, no. <laughs> but she's so peppy and Leslie's not in the mood for it. And she says, take it down a notch, Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you wanted to say that to a person? Well, I have told Alexis that on Christmas because <laughs> she was just way too jingle bells for my taste. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about it. Oh, you mean Alexa. Oh, maybe that's why she didn't respond. <laughs> that could explain a lot, actually. Like, you need to get Alexa for Amazon Silver. Have you seen this? No. Alexa Silver? No. Uh, okay, viewers, here's your homework. Go out, you go to YouTube and search Alexa Silver. It's a Saturday Night Live sketch. I guarantee it will be worth your watch. Oh, wow. Yes. All right. Well, that's my homework, too, then. Yes. Yep, yes, yep. it is. My second AKA mark is, uh, is from... And at one point, she endeavors to engage Ron and April a, a shade deeper and tells a story. She mm-hmm. spins a yarn. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the yarn, she says, and so when I finally cleaned up the vomit, I found the toe. <laughs> I just. Bum, bum, bum. I love their story so much. Yeah. So those are my two AKAs. That's got to be a hefty amount of stuff to hide a toe. Well, it, it could be a small toe, a pinky toe. Mm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Which one did Ron lose, by the way? I forget. That happened like a couple episodes. Alan, ago. he has the toes he has. <laughs> Just let it go. Let it go. Yep. All right. Well, let's let it go and move into the breakdown, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we start off with the cold open, as we usually do. Um, this is a, a fairly long one. I think it's a, a minute and 45 seconds ish. Uh, it's definitely plot relevant. And we tune into a Pawnee community radio show called Thoughts for Your Thoughts, where Leslie is a guest on the show. Thoughts for your thoughts. That's right. <laughs> and and, and Leslie is there to talk about a book that she's written, which we've kind of alluded to in the synopses. Actually, Alan, you know what? To your credit, let's have Constantine start us off by playing this clip. Support for Pawnee Community Radio comes from the Wendell G. and Muriel Fathright Korbelman Foundation and Sweetums Cares, a nonprofit group that puts umbrella hats on homeless people when it rains. <laughs> Welcome to Thoughts for Your Thoughts. I'm Derry Merbles filling in for David Parker, who took off for eight months to study the migration patterns of our nation's squirrels. We have not seen him since. <laughs> My guest today is author Leslie Nope. The book, Pawnee, the Greatest Town in America. I wrote a book, The First Historical Guide to Pawnee. I wrote it as a reference for myself, but then my campaign advisor said we should make it a big, wide release. So we had people contribute, and we added pictures, and we removed a lot of my poems and emotional <laughs> ramblings and pictures of unicorns, and here it is. <laughs> Leslie, could one say that a book is nothing more than a painting of words, which are the notes on the tapestry of the greatest film ever sculpted? <laughs> one could say that. But should one? <laughs> Join us next week when David B. and Cooley will be filling in for Richard Chang Jefferson, who will be filling in for me. Leslie, would you like to take us out? Okay. 
Please enjoy a song from the lesbian Afro-Norwegian funk duo Nefertiti's Fjord. <laughs> They are terrible. Oh yes, they're they're quite awful. But they are lesbians, so <laughs> what a good cold open. Ah, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. The dairy Merbles there, as you alluded <clears throat> to, played by the great Dan Castanetta. Yeah, whatever it takes. Homer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he uses Homer Simpson on the Simpsons, is, among yes. other things. Among many other things. Yes. Yep. Terrific. And I noticed, Alan, uh, you were kind of, you know, being braggadocious, uh, showing me, yeah, you have a few uh, podcast viewers. You can clearly see this. Uh, Alan has uh, a, a, what must be an advanced copy. Yeah. Hot off the presses, Mark. Of Pawnee, the greatest town in America. I'm very jealous. Well, I'll tell you what. It's interesting to me that um, even though she took out the poems and the drawings of unicorns, mm. still clocks in at 240 pages. So it's, it's not a small book. No. Um, and it's full of great stuff. So- uh, you know, maybe we'll put an, a link uh, to this on our website. That would be a great help idea. Help people find it. Yeah. Because yep. I, I recommend that you pick it up. Uh, if you're a true Parks and Rec fan, as we know, all of our viewers are, of course. Absolutely. Um, I recommend you own the book if you don't already. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, after the cold open, we open in the bullpen and we see that Leslie, like, you know, many budding authors, is going to rely on self-promotion and book signings to gain some initial momentum. I, I can't blame her a bit. So at City Hall, we see the gang. I think in this case, it's basically everybody except I want to say Ann and Tom uh, are, are in the bullpen and they're discussing Leslie's book. Apparently, Leslie has given everybody a copy, although she does <laughs> expect them to buy additional copies. And they've all been personally delivered and signed by her. Yeah. Well, did you see, I think, um, <laughs> April's <laughs> version? She said it's seven pages long. The oh, inscription. my gosh. <laughs> She said, I was just thinking about you as a woman and as a person, and I got carried away. And I think that that would have been understandable if Leslie had stayed consistent. But then Jerry pipes up and says, well, mine just says, get well soon. <laughs> Aren't you sick? No. And then she kind of looks at it. Uh, something's off. Something's off. <laughs> We're getting PBJ early. Early in the episode. I yep. love it. Yep. Well, you know, and, and Jerry's going to uh, have a very specific role in this episode. We'll talk about that here yes, in a second. Yes, he will. Yeah. Well, from there, the action moves into Leslie's office, and we learn that Chris has quite a gift for speed reading, and that like Oprah's book club, Pawnee has its own equally influential local celebrity endorsement engine, Mark. They certainly do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing this is about an hour-ish later, and, and like you said, Chris and Ben are talking to Leslie in her office, and Chris is excitedly holding a copy of Leslie's book, telling her that he read it apparently cover to cover in an hour and loved it. Apparently he's a speed reader. Um, Tom then makes a grand entrance, giving away more entertainment 720 swag. And Leslie takes this opportunity to ask Tom whether or not her book was selected for Joan Calamezzo's book club, which would guarantee it to be a bestseller. Um, and I don't think Ben was even aware that Joan Calamezzo had a book club. So great example of Ben doesn't get it. Yes. Um, Tom tells Leslie that he's trying. He's trying to get this sticker, Alan. But apparently Joan got an anonymous tip that there's a factual inaccuracy <gasps> in the book. And she may be leading up to a big gotcha moment on uh -oh. air with Leslie. 
I love the um, the Joan Calamezzo book club sticker, Mark. Did you notice that it is almost as big as the book itself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. terrific. In fact, I think we learned that when, uh, you know, Leslie has this great talking head where she says, you know, Joan started a book club about four years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the literary tastemaker of the town now. <laughs> and that there's a book from a local author called Penelope Foster called The Time Traveler's Optometrist. Yeah, I got that for Christmas. Did you? It was unreadable. It's a heartwarming story about a caveman eye doctor who travels to present day Cincinnati and can see everything but But love. love. Yeah. Unreadable. (laughs) I I love that. That's almost a throwaway and a talking head. But then, then, then she ended by saying, but this unreadable caveman optometrist thing. Slap the sticker on it. Jones slaps her big old Joan head sticker on there and (laughs) bestseller four years in a row. Four years in a row. Yup. So it's totally understandable that Leslie wants this sticker for her book as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, what? the end of this may be one of my favorite parts, too, because Chris had said at the beginning of this scene, he's a speed reader. Oh, that's right. Well, <laughs> once once Tom <laughs> mentioned that Joan got a tip about an inaccuracy, yeah. if you pay attention, you immediately see Chris start to page through the book. He's reading the book. And page through the book and page yeah. through the book. And you go, I wonder what he's doing. And then, you know, it ends with, with you know, them saying, well, you know, all right, we're going to de- deal with this. And then Tom and Leslie leave the room and Chris, Chris finishes paging through the book and turns to Ben. I found new inaccuracies. <laughs> like he's good. He's really good. Wow. Uh, another way, a way in which we can strive to be more like Chris. I guess. I guess so. Well, back in the bullpen, Leslie is on a mission and she is going to recruit her crack parks team to ensure the public welfare, which, of course, is in this case, finding a mistake in her bookmark. Uh, This is going to be a full team effort. And with Anne on the bench, though, quite literally. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to take all of them to find this mistake that doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Leslie is now in the bullpen again, talking to the gang. And I think at this point, everybody is there except maybe Anne, at least initially. Initially, yeah. And and she's talking to them about this alleged inaccuracy in her book. And, and essentially the goal is to divide and conquer, right? Jerry is hitting the road and re-interviewing everyone who lives out of town. Leslie, Tom, and Ben are taking off for the Pawnee Today interview with Joan Calamezzo. And I think maybe Chris is going with them too. Yeah, I believe that's and, right. And maybe even Andy, now that I think about it. I think Andy's part of the group, yes. Um, and then everybody else, apart from those uh, people, are pitching in to go through Leslie's book carefully, page by page, and fact check every single detail. And so that basically leaves April and Ron uh, alone in Ron's office, you know, they're scanning through their copies of the book and Ron laments, oh, my gosh, you know, this may take a while because Leslie's not sloppy, but she's also not brief. This could, you know, there's a lot. And then he says the magic words. It's just us, I hope. <laughs> just as a chipper and upbeat Anne walks into Ron's <laughs> office, who makes the third of their trio and starts talking to them about all fact checking together. Here we go. Helping Leslie. And we hear Ron groan. <laughs> And Anne goes to sit down in the seat next to April at the two chairs in front of Ron's desk. And April immediately points to the bench across the room. Yeah. And Anne has to go sit on the bench by herself. But she seems happy to just be in the room. She's I think she's going to take whatever crumbs she can get at this point. Yeah. She can at least say she was in the room where it happened, Mark. That's right. That's right. Well, on Pawnee today, Tom and Ben arrive to prepare for Joan's coverage of Leslie's book. And and Tom shares his philosophy about self-promotion while still at least being 63% focused on the mission at hand. Holy cow. Yeah. So the scene starts out, we see an outside shot of, you know, the Pawnee, the Pawnee Community Access Building where Pawnee today is recorded. And we go inside and we see 
Joan Calamezzo greeting Ben backstage, although I don't think Joan remembers meeting Ben. No, before. she's never met him before. <laughs> no, it never happened. Um, <laughs> and a few seconds later, Tom comes on the scene and he's flirting with Joan as usual. And finally, he asks Joan, is Leslie's book going to get the sticker? Am I going to be happy like we talked about? And Joan just flirtatiously says, "Ooh, we'll see before walking away. Well, while that's going on, back in Ron's office, we learn that Anne also has a hidden agenda, much like Tom, fueling her efforts for assisting Leslie in finding this alleged mistake. Yeah, this is a really short scene, but in Ron's office, we learn three things. A, they haven't found any inaccuracies so far because they're trying to find it before Leslie goes on air. Chris has already said there are none, so. (laughs) I'd be inclined to believe him. Um, So, A, they haven't found anything so far. B, April and Ron are making zero effort to try and talk with Anne. And C, Anne is determined to, as she puts it, get these two people that I've known for a long time to talk to me for five minutes. And then she follows up by saying, who who am I kidding? One minute would be amazing. (laughs) Mark, I'll go a step farther. They're not only not making any effort to talk to her. I think they might be making effort to not talk to her. Oh, that could be. Yeah, we'll find out. Back over at the set of Pawnee today, we see that Joan has been pretty coy about her endorsement of Leslie's book up to this point. But it seems that she's got a bit of a bombshell to drop. And Mark, should we just play this clip? Yeah, I think we definitely should play this clip. All right, let's do that. Constantine, hit that button for us, buddy. So, Leslie, you're a real native of Pawnee, aren't you? Yes, I was born and raised here, Joan. And I love the town so much, I literally wrote the book on it. I have it right here. And also in this hand right here, I have a sticker, which when applied, legally determines the newest selection of Joan's book club. Oh, whoa, whoa. where's it? Over here? Oh. Back here? <laughs> where's it now? Come on, Come stick on. it. <laughs> whoa. Um, stick on. the sticker. Stick no, the... no, no, no. Not it. so fast. Put it on. We received a tip that you, <laughs> Leslie, born and raised nope, were not born in Pawnee. What? Gotcha! And because you lied about it, we cannot make this a book club selection. Nope. I was born in Pawnee. I'd stake my reputation on it. I have to tell you, this feels like gotcha journalism. In what way? That way. You put gotcha on my face. After the break, where is Leslie Nope actually born? Pawnee! We will pull out the world map and speculate wildly. Gosh, oh, that's so funny, Mark. Did you notice that this they had the title graphics ready to go? You know, some some nerd backstage is typing all this up and keys them onto the screen, right? Mm-hmm. And it literally said Leslie Nope, author, comma, immigrant. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that. Oh, it's so good. You gotta watch that scene. Good catch. Yeah, they get changed later too. Oh my gosh. Well, Mark, backstage at Pawnee Community Access, everyone agrees that Joan Gotcha was despicable, but kind of catchy. It was catchy. Yeah. Everybody that is except Burt Macklin. Oh, he's back, baby. Yeah. So they're all discussing by by they. I'm talking about the Ben and Tom, Chris, Andy and Leslie. Yeah, so they're all yeah. discussing what the heck just happened on air there. They, they, they gotcha. <laughs> and so Leslie, once again, has them divide and conquer. So Ben and Tom are going to stay on Joan, stay on the leader and get that freaking (laughs) sticker 
Chris and Andy are going with Leslie to perform some damage control. And upon hearing this, Alan, we get an unexpected but welcome rebirth of one of our heroes, one of our favorite characters, Burt Macklin, FBI. You thought he was dead. Well, so did the president's enemies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whatever that means. Wasn't wasn't he being chased down because he stole the president's rubies? rubies. Yes. Is that, that right? Was it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That's so good. Yeah. It's almost like he expected to have to be Burt Macklin today. He He kind of dressed for it. Well, and it's nice that he acknowledged his own weird backstory of dying, but no, I'm back. He's back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the writers, they always find a way to write somebody back in when they have to. When is, there's box office at stake, Mark. That is true now that you mention it. He had the Burke, the Burt Macklin sunglasses. Yeah. So it's almost like he knew he may be needed. He woke up this morning and felt something. A disturbance in the force, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he knew. I think you're right. Well, back in Ron's office... You know, Mark, so far in this episode, uh, no one is getting what they want. And that includes Anne and her battle of the wills with April and Ron. Boy, you said a mouthful there. <laughs> yeah, we we see Anne talking to Leslie on her cell phone, I think getting a download about what just happened on, on uh, Pawnee today. Mm. And Anne hangs up and passes on to Ron and April that they don't have to fact check anymore, <laughs> but... They need to be on, quote, ready alert one in case something comes up. So two things happen. One, April throws the book on the floor and immediately just blah. She's gone. She's gone. Leaves Ron's office. And then two or B, uh, Ron has a chance to get some real work done or in his case, whittling a stick um, <laughs> and decides to hang out there around April and Ron's yeah. desks, still hoping to get a tiny scrap of small talk from them. She says, you know, I think I'm just going to hang out with you guys if that's cool. And April says, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Anna's determined. She has a great talking head and she's she's really kind of, you know, pumped up. Well, kind of, because the beginning of the talking head is she it's almost like she's being very matter of fact. And, you know, I could leave. I could, but I'm not going to. And then it starts to turn a little yeah. bit. I will get my one minute of small talk, damn it. And it will be casual and it will be amicable. <laughs> Yikes. I hope she isn't the one that leads the needs to lead the amicability. Yeah, me too. Well, backstage at Pawnee Community Access, you know, we talked before about how funny it was that the show Tom and Jerry, referring, of course, to the classic cartoon, because we've got a Tom and a Jerry on Parks and Rec, Mark. I never heard of that. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, check it out sometime. Hmm. But Tom Haverford is also going to play a game of cat and mouse with Joan in this case, not Jerry. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, the first thing we see is Joan is... Very disappointed that Leslie left before she had an opportunity to sign the gotcha wall. Did you see how many people have signed this damn a wall? A lot. A lot. <laughs> so Tom persuades Joan to come to lunch with him and Ben where they can discuss the book and the sticker and, you know, you know, whatever else may come up. And Joan agrees and goes to change. And uh, Ben is not very pleased with this uh didn't she say all. she's going to go put on something more tantalizing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Subtlety is not her strong point there. It really is So Ben's not pleased, but Tom assures him at this point, it's a game of, as you put it, cat and mouse. Joan is a married woman who wants what she can't have. Mm. And then uh, I think the scene ends with Tom spraying cologne on alternating signs of his neck for about a minute. <laughs> at like least. It's dripping down at the time. I'm pretty sure yeah. the people 20 feet away, the gotcha girls, the gotcha dancers are oh, in the background. Yeah. I think they're almost starting to smell it. 
20 feet away. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, from here, Mark, we find ourselves over at a local Pawnee bookstore. I named it the Pawnee Book Nook. Oh, I like that. You like that? I mean, it kind of goes against our theme of why try. Yeah. But, you know. I, I had a little extra energy. Well, good for you. I like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. You know, Mark, and even though I, I know that Leslie is there to promote her current book, I'm thinking that, you know, this author speaking engagement might just inspire Leslie to write her next book, which will clearly be about the crazy citizens of Pawnee and the merits of carrying a full set of government identification. I, I, I think I can't argue with that <laughs> as we're going to see here in just a second. Um so, yeah, Leslie and Chris and Andy, as we mentioned, are trying to do some damage control and, and they're at uh, the, the Pawnee Book Nook. Uh, and and I, I'm assuming that they're there for a book reading, maybe yeah. slash signing, yeah. something like That's that. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And Leslie greets everyone, but she only gets a couple of words out before she is hounded by the crowd about whether or not she was born in Pawnee. And. When the crowd starts to turn hostile, Andy, I mean, Burt Macklin, FBI, ushers her out of the bookstore. I like there before, you know, as the uh, the the sentiment is kind of rising in a bad way for Leslie. Yeah. Chris tries to help, though. He steps up to the podium. He says, Leslie, let me handle this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he says to the crowd, does it really matter? I mean, how many of you are actually born in Pawnee? All of them. Every single <laughs> hand, including Leslie. Including Leslie. Goes up. Yep. He's. He says, sure enough. Fair, so, fair enough. He's done. He has nothing else he can do to help. I, I kind of liked a couple of things that happened here, too. One is this is almost like a variation of the Pawnee Town Hall where you have this assemb assemblage of crazy Pawneeans. Yeah. And they one of whom is Mel. Remember Mel? He's the guy with the glasses. He's yes. nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that was the other thing I was going to say is as they're so good at doing, they're bringing back recurring characters, even if we don't even necessarily know their name yeah. exactly. Yeah. But we're like, oh, that guy. <laughs> um, and and yeah, Mel. Holy cow. He he says I love their exchange, too, because he so says <laughs> he says, you know, you're you're high. He's telling Leslie, uh -huh. he says, you're hiding something. You should go back to where you came from. And she says, I am back from where I came from. And all he said, that sentence was confusing. <laughs> you might as well be from China. <laughs> Come on. Uh, oh, well, and that's when Andy, he realizes and maybe rightfully so, but, you know, much like an under like the bodyguard, you know, imagine Kevin Costner with his earpiece grabbing Whitney Houston to get her out of the room. Oh, exactly like that. He, he grabs he grabs Leslie and says, we got to go. And you notice as they as they exited the bookstore. So he's getting Leslie out of the line of fire, yeah, so yeah. to speak. Oh, yeah. And Chris just kind of turns and goes, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Like he's just real cheerful, you know, <laughs> waves at everybody, grins. It's just so Chris. That's so good. Well, from here, we move over to Alfredo's restaurant, Mark. We've been here before and it's lunchtime and Ben and Tom learn a lot more about Joan than either of them bargained for, including her powdering regime and an update, as you said before, on her marriage to Santino. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you sure that it's Alfredo's or is it Alfonso's? Uh, not, not, yes. <laughs> Look, there are two Alfredo's pizzas places in, in Scranton, Mark. And oh. it, it doesn't really matter which one. <laughs> it's that Italian restaurant, Mark. You know, the only reason I asked this actually, and we'll get to this later, but yeah. I think they had a deleted scene where they yes. actually mentioned. I, and I thought it was Alfredo's, but it could be Alfonso's. 
I, th- I thought I, the only reason I said Alfonso's is because I think we visited here before. We have definitely visited here before. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's that place. Alfonso. It's that starts with an A. Fair enough. So this is way more boring than I ever <laughs> thought it could be. Okay. So <laughs> people love it when we argue on the podcast. Mark. Oh, that's the reason they tune in. It, clearly. Like, what are those knuckleheads going to say next? <laughs> Good. You- okay. So <laughs> Tom and Ben are at, with Joan at some restaurant. Doesn't matter. Alfonso's. And and they're, they're making small flirty talk and Ben's just kind of Joan lets it slip that she and her husband, Santino, as you mentioned, uh, they're divorcing. And she warns Tom not to <clears throat> make any promises you can't keep. <laughs> Know what I mean? Know what I mean? And and Joan orders another drink for her and and Tom, this great little chunk of caramel here, uh, before heading to the restroom. And and Tom seems a little alarmed, and he he turns to Ben for help. He thinks this is just a typical amount of gross, and and explains, <laughs> no, 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 this is different, right? That she's not married anymore, and she's had like five bottles of alcohol, and she called me caramel. Uh, you got to do your nerd thing. You got to throw some cold water on this situation. Mark, uh, Joan, you know, of course, played by the terrific Mo Collins, yep. uh, is really at her height here. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> she said, she, you know, she isn't upset about her and Santino divorcing. In fact, she thinks it's actually quite liberating. Ugh, she is, yeah. as she states, a woman with a strong sexual appetite, mm-hmm. much like a caged peacock yearning for the wind on her haunches. That's a powerful metaphor. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll have to see what's going to happen. This is, of course, uh, also where we learn about her powdering regime. And uh, we'll just have to take a rain card on figuring out what happens there. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, Mo Collins is so good in this. The only other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, she's being all like flirty and, and, and you know, she's like, I have to go to the bathroom and, oh, yeah. and powder stuff. And then she gets up and <laughs> she runs into a chair. Crap. <laughs> Physical comedy at its best. <laughs> she's so good. She really is. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, over at the bullpen, uh, Anne is persisting on making small talk with April and Ron, despite the fact that this hasn't worked very well up until this point. Yeah. Anne is getting frustrated with her attempts to talk to April and Ron. And you know what? Let's let's have Constantine play this clip. Let's do that. Well, I've made a little progress. I'm up to four seconds with April. Hey, April, I was looking to get some new music and I was wondering if you could recommend anything. The Internet. I really like your haircut. Where, where'd you get it? Prison. How's your sister doing? <laughs> she has the shingles. Who's your favorite character on Sex in the City? Alf. <laughs> and nine seconds with Ron. You're stranded on a desert island. What is the one thing that you bring with you? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Was that even nine seconds? I think maybe if you include the flute playing. Actually, I think this is a reference to a deleted scene where she does get about nine seconds with Ron. Oh, nice. The the only other thing I want to mention about this scene is, you know, when when Leslie calls Anne to give her the download on what happened on Pawnee today, the gotcha thing. Ron is excited to not have to fact check because he can get work done, which includes whittling a stick. And it's just a stick at that point. So in just a span of. A couple of two or three hours, maybe. maybe he has turned a stick, just a regular old raggedy old vanilla stick yeah. into a fully functional flute. Yeah, he is. A, he is amazing when it comes to woodworking. <laughs> like, what can't he do? I'd like to call it a lute, Mark. I, I think that speaks more to the books that you and I tend to read, you know, in our spare time. And and also if Ron were a, a medieval traveler, 
he would clearly play the lute. I'm just certain of it. Yeah. Hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. So many people have asked and no one has really discovered the answer yet. I mean, I like it. Yeah. yeah. I would just like to diagnose it before I jump on board. Fair enough. All right. All right. Yeah, we all would. Well, Mark at City Hall, we learn that there can be something worse than the fourth floor, and that's anything in Eagleton. And that's where Leslie is unfortunately about to need to go. Leslie is meeting with the politicos. Ah, yes. Barnes and Associates yep. or something like that. Uh, William and Elizabeth, I think, are their names. That's all right. And Elizabeth tells... Leslie, that a flash poll suggests that 68% of Pawneeans think she's lying about where she's born. And Leslie is just like, oh, man, I want to just clear this up right now. Concern it. She's already sounded like Yosemite saying. And she presents them with her birth certificate, hoping to end all this craziness. But unfortunately, mm. the birth certificate just says Wamapoke County. Mm. And William tells Leslie, no, 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 no. See, you staked your reputation on this. So now we're we're hip deep in this. Right. So you yeah. need the long form certificate to prove once and for all where you're born and to get the long form certificate she needs to go to dot 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 eagleton dun 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 see i'm with ron here on why government sucks <laughs> there should not be a long form and a short form there should just be a form and i even question whether there should be a form oh yeah say this is where you're born now spend the rest of the time whittling that's right you know what you know i also liked about this scene is you know elizabeth tells uh uh, leslie the uh, the the, the flash poll percentage who who think the stats that's right and and some of it is about like well how many percent think that she's lying about you know where she's born and then she also said uh (laughs) she's looking at it and and leslie is like 13 percent think i'm crazy eyed and looks up (laughs) and when she does we understand why but but it's funny so Leslie is not looking forward to going to Eagleton. She really isn't. And and I frankly don't blame her. No. Well, Mark, speaking of Eagleton, yeah. we're going to find ourselves in the Wamapoke County Records Office in Greater Eagleton. And like countless anti-heroes before him uh, who have been pushed too far, uh, Burt Macklin will now have to live outside the law once again. Well, first of all, Alan, I think it's very clear if you ask anyone who lives in Eagleton, there is no lesser Eagleton. It's all greater Eagleton by by definition. You're practically an Eagletonian, aren't you? I I, I can either confirm or deny this. All right. (laughs) So, yeah, we have a brief talking hit of Leslie saying how much she hates Eagleton, which is pretty funny. But, yeah, as you said, next we see Leslie, Chris and Andy. They enter the Wamapoke County Records Office and there's there's. Three attempts that are are done here to try and get the long form birth certificate. Yeah, this is where we meet Alexis Pratchett that I, is part of my. AKA, oh, right? Alexis! <laughs> and the the first attempt is Leslie just takes the straightforward practical approach. She sure. simply asks Alexa for her birth Alexis for her birth certificate. Whatever but, it takes. But, but she's she's told by the that that woman there yeah. that unfortunately it takes three to eight weeks and so that's not good. Well, attempt number two. Chris steps up to the plate and gives the receptionist his most dazzling smile. His dreamy eyes. And asks if she can make an exception for him. He still needs to comb his hair. It isn't working. And she tells him no, which devastates him because that usually works. Almost always. I I want to talk about this, though. Yeah. So attempt number three. When practicality and charm fail, as always, 
Bert Macklin's on the case. And Andy <laughs> is kind of like the, almost the, the 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 confused but eager to please hired muscle. Yeah, kind that's of. Fair. And and he mixed he, with a high uh, high energy Chihuahua slash laboratory retriever yeah. slash labradoodle. Um, <laughs> and Andy dives over the desk, breaking things along the way, and he mm. goes into the back of the office. So he's just like, I go back. He's ready. He's gonna yeah, go get I, it. I'm just gonna go. You know, nuts mm-hmm. to you, Alexa. I'm gonna go back there and get it. That's what mm-hmm. I do. And he's going back there. Yep. But then he comes right back to the desk, Mark, and he says, oh, hey, Leslie, real quick, um, could you spell your last name for me? <laughs> He's going to write it on his hand. Details, details. All right. Oh, boy. Well, you know, you mentioned that Chris tried and, of course, failed with Alexis there, you know, and he's he's batting his eyes. He's looking all dreamy. And, yeah. you know, he's putting on the full trigger. He is. And this normally works for him in places that aren't Eagleton. Everyone in Eagleton is so beautiful, Mark, that he, his, 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 his beauty, his, uh, you know, physicality won't work here for him. It, it's almost like they, just like uh, Django Fett. Um, they, I was they, thinking the same thing. Yeah, I know you were. They, yeah, it's like they cloned the Traeger, you know, genes and just made a lot of Eagletonians out of that. So now it's just like, yeah, you're just one of us, but you're no one special. And you called me a nerd? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I know. Well, back at Alfredo slash Alfonso. Fair enough. I'll take it. All right. Uh, we, we're not even nerdy Star Trek talk. What work is an anti-aphrodisiac to the wild peacock that is Joan Calamezzo? Oh, powerful metaphor. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, back at Alfredo's, uh <laughs> Joan is way drunk. Yeah. And she's now like openly dancing and singing wildly in the middle of the restaurant. Let's hear it for the boys. Let's hear it for the boys. Indeed. (laughs) I mean, just to to everybody, no one wants to see it or hear it, but everybody is seeing it and hearing it. Both. Yeah. And at this point, Joan is sufficiently liquored up that she just point blank asked Tom to, why don't you take me home? Big boy. It's Betty time. You, you, you chunk a caramel. You (laughs) it's Betty time there. And, um, Tom quickly says, Ben, talk nerd stuff. Talk oh. about Star Trek. And, 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 you know, Ben does this, which he's actually pretty good at the nerd talk. But it actually backfires because now apparently through a series of bleeps, we find out that Joan wants to take them both home. <laughs> and Ben just wants to leave. <laughs> but but in a rare glimpse of compassion. Tom realizes what an utter disaster Joan is right now. And he tells Ben, man, we can't leave. We got to make sure that she gets home safe. Mm. Well, hey, Mark, knock, knock. Who's there? Joan. Joan who? We have a delivery for a Joan Calamezzo. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is a delivery of Joan Calamezzo. (laughs) And you might want to open the door because she's getting heavy. Well, I'm not signing for this. No, no. <laughs> so the, the, the next thing we see is a, this is just a really, really short scene. But, you know, but Tom, funny, but, but very, very funny. Tom and Ben are bodily carrying Joan into her own narcissistic, gaudily decorated bedroom. They, they count to three, heave her onto her own uh. bed. Uh, Ben finally gets Tom to stop gawking at all the, quote, fashionable stuff that Joan has and the nude paintings and whatever. I don't think Ben knows where he is. And and they tell her, water and aspirin is by the bed, by, you know, and they leave before she can really wake up. It's a little bit like the, that scene from one of the most recent shows where he goes, where am I? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. Um, her, 
I got you got to give props to the set dressers here, Mark. Because, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Shea Calamezzo and specifically the bedroom at Shea Calamezzo is fabulous. I mean, we've seen I think maybe a little bit of the one of these paintings before. I'm not certain, but we see the full the full Joan here, if you will. <laughs> it's oh, blurred out and pixelated, but there are no less than four paintings of her in various stages of undress. I, I would say in their own way, they did just as good of a job with Joan's bedroom as they did with Entertainment 720, the Dreamatorium. Well, that's true. Yeah. It was also reminiscent of uh, the scene at, at Nick Newport Sr.'s house. There were paintings there of nude people, including Nick in a wheelchair, oh, pixelated in all the wrong places. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. You know, I have to point out one thing, though, Mark, at, at Joan's house. There is a painting of her. I call it a boudoir photo slash painting. Yeah. And it's like her. She's kind of lunging forward. She's dressed, but, you know, skin is still showing through various places in the the dressings there. Uh-huh. And there's a about a six inch to eight inch scar running down her abdomen. Did you see this? Are you are you messing with me right no, now? I really am not. And I, I, if this is true, and I don't trust him, ladies and gentlemen, but if this is true, I honestly did not catch this. It, it's very easy to miss. And so I, I reached out to Mo Collins and, uh, you know, to just to catch up with her, let her know we were covering this episode. She's our buddy. She's our buddy. We'll hopefully have her back on the show again one of these days. Oh, I love but, that. Know, yeah. But, you know, she's, I asked her, I said, you know, because she posted recently, she's a 10-year survivor of, of, of a GIST, G-I-S-T, which is a gastrointestinal cancer. And 10 years ago, and she just posted a picture on her, uh, I think it was on her Twitter account and on her Instagram account of her scar. And, but yeah, 10 years ago, she was diagnosed. They found it in time. And so she still takes pills, but she's still very healthy and luckily survived that. So yay for that, obviously. Yeah. So I asked her, I said, Mo, is it a coincidence that this painting has this scar on it? And she said, it's a total coincidence. Like they didn't know. Wow. I'm like, that's crazy. That's kind of freaky. It's a little freaky. Well, if we we got to find someone in the props department and ask them about it, because I'm just curious about the motivation behind it. I just assumed it was related to a real life event, but it wasn't. Folks, this is the kind of thing you find out when you you follow us. You, you yeah. find these little tidbits you wouldn't yeah. find anywhere else. Yeah. Good luck finding it elsewhere. Yeah. That's fascinating. All our best to uh, to Mo Collins. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from here, we bounce back over to the records office at Eagleton. And the good news is that Burt Macklin got his uh, man or stolen birth certificate either way. The bad news, Mark, I, I don't know. I can't tell them. You, you tell them. <laughs> this is a, this is a, this is not funny. This is actually very sobering. So yes, back. Let's take the room. Let's take the room down a notch, Mark. That's right. Andy slash Burt Macklin is done rummaging around <laughs> in the back of the office and was ultimately successful in getting Leslie's birth certificate. So he finally comes back to Chris and Leslie, who have been waiting in the lobby with Leslie's birth certificate and uh, some guy's briefcase um, <laughs> in his in his hands and. Leslie takes it from Andy and reads through it, only to discover, to her horror, that she was born not in Pawnee, as she always thought, but in Eagleton. Oh, dun, my dun, dun, God. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> of all the horrible news she could have got. I don't even have anything else to say. I, no. I got to take a moment. Well, you know, what's funny is so does Leslie, and she marches basically back to City Hall Goes to Marlene's office. Yeah. And, you know, says, Marlene, mom, 
how could you look at the little pigtail girl and the you know has she is the spirit of Pawnee, and now she's just another eagle. <sighs> I can't say it. No eagle, yeah. eagle Toninian. Toninian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, here's here's where the truth comes out. First yeah. of all, Marlene confirms that yes, Leslie was born in Eagleton. And uh, and she couldn't tell that little pigtailed little girl there because it'd be a break her heart. She's the spirit of Pawnee. And but Marlene does explain mm. that when she is time to deliver. Yeah. Um, they, there was no room at they, the end. They, they, went, they went. I was so close to saying that. <laughs> they, and they, when she went to the Pawnee Hospital uh, in yeah. Perkins Hospital, I'm assuming. In Perkins Hospital. Yeah. I don't know if it was called it back then. No, but not that. I'm going to pretend it was. Yeah. Uh, so they went to Ann Perkins Hospital and they she couldn't go there to have Leslie on account of a uh, Pawnee raccoon infestation reared its ugly head. It was overrun <laughs> with raccoons at the time. And so they had to go to the next closest hospital, which was Eagleton. And Leslie is devastated at this. And, and you know, Marlene is, is, is somewhat apologetic because she obviously knows that Leslie is, is, is devastated by this. Sure. But I don't think Marlene yet completely understands why it, it makes so much difference. So Leslie kind of has to explain to her, I, you know, I was on Pawnee today. I called Joan a liar. I staked my reputation on it. So, oh, Alan, this uh, this isn't good. It's never going to work out this way. She says, I called Joan a liar. I'm the liar. I'm worse than a liar. I'm an eagle. Tony. And- yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not good. Nope. I think we need to spit when we say that. <laughs> Eagleton. <laughs> well, Mark, from there, we move back into the bullpen and Anne has a new tactic for winning this campaign small talk. And uh, it involves one of the oldest truisms of storytelling. Yes, it does. So I think this is. Is this the next morning? I think at, at City Hall. Yeah, it's it's a new day. Okay, that's that's why I literally thought. So it's it's uh, Ann Perkins. So, <laughs> we, so the next morning at City Hall, yeah, Ann enters the bullpen. Uh, she says good morning. She's looking for Leslie. She doesn't see her there, and she just comments like, "Oh yeah, I'm so tired. I took a shift at the hospital last night. Uh, I was dealing with a weird patient. Uh, but you know what? Uh, actually, you know what? Let's have Constantine play this. This is really good. Let's do. Morning. Is Leslie here? Oh man, I am so tired. I took a half shift at the hospital last night and I had this really weird patient. Weird how? I probably shouldn't talk about it. It's one of the grossest things I've ever seen. Talk. Well, this guy came in, he got his hand stuck in a Pringles can and he tried to cut himself out. What kind of blade did he use? Uh, Three and a half inch, serrated. Buckets of blood. He passed out over his arm and slumped onto the floor. Did the bone show? Very good question, April. Answer her. <laughs> yeah, the bone showed. Everyone in the universe loves a gross medical story. Boom! I win! And so when I finally cleaned up the vomit, I found the toe. I forgot about the toe. So did we. Crazy, right? That story is awesome. Indeed. Thank you for sharing, Jenny. <laughs> Anne was getting a little chummy. <laughs> When people get too chummy with me, I like to call them by the wrong name to let them know I don't really care about them. That's a genius move. Thank you. You're welcome, Lester. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my favorite talking heads ever. I mean, not only. Yeah. So bravo for, you know, and finding the way into their hearts with 
pretty the, good. The gross medical story. Because yeah. she's right. She's right. Um, everyone is kind of fascinated. Like Even people who get grossed out by stuff, they still kind of want to hear it. Yeah, I don't want to hear this. What happened next? Um, <laughs> but then, you know, and, and Ron and April always make a good pairing. They really do. And you talk about, uh, you couldn't see this, uh, you know, in the audio, but but what a proud papa moment Ron has when, when you know, April just picks right up yeah. on it and says, you know, thank you. You're welcome, Lester. Lester. And he just has the <laughs> biggest little grin on his face. Like he is so proud of her. He is. Oh, I love I've it. I've raised you well, young lady. That's right. You can. He doesn't say it, but you can see it. The daughter he never the had. The daughter he never had. Yulp. Yeah, that's right. Well, and this, you know, and Anne was getting a little chummy thing. It has been such a meme on the Internet. Yes. That uh, it really is a classic moment in the in the series as well. Well, Mark, back in the city manager's office, Team Leslie strategizes over the bad news surrounding Leslie's actual birthplace. And she gets some needed encouragement to keep going. She certainly does. So, yeah, Leslie at this point is is just lamenting to Ron and Chris, uh, about being born in Eagleton and just blah. And Tom comes in and gives her more bad news saying that he didn't get Jones book club sticker. Um, and Ron in his own Ron way, he, I think he tries to support Leslie by telling her, you know what? She, you don't owe the voter, the voters a damn thing. You know, you don't need to tell them anything. You don't need to tell them about being born in Eagleton. They, they don't need to know. They don't even need to know your name, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> and Chris, however, has a different perspective saying, Quote, I'm sorry, but I disagree. Leslie, where you were born is a piece of trivia. Where you're from, that's what makes you who you are. And you are from Pawnee. You're more Pawnee than anyone I know. So I say, tell them the truth and trust that they're going to respect you for it. Which I think is exactly what Leslie needed to hear at that point. And it's really good. And even Ron says, damn it, he's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yeah. said. E- e- even Ron ends up agreeing with them. Yeah. <laughs> Chris says, thanks, Ron. You're welcome, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it full circle. Yep. All Love the it. way back around. Yep. Yep. Well, Mark, now we're back at Pawnee today. It is the next day. Um, and Joan is feeling almost too bad to enjoy Leslie's news. Almost. <laughs> but for Leslie, uh, she will make an exception. Yeah. The, the the first glimpse of this scene is, you know, Tom and Ben are backstage again at Pawnee today. And we see Joan arrive a minute later and she's got sunglasses on and she's not doing real well. She's clearly way, way hung over. Yeah. Um, and, and we hear Tom thank her for having Leslie back on the show. And so we think, oh, well, so now she's going to get maybe get a second chance or yeah. maybe what's going to happen here. And a bit later, we see Joan and Leslie. They're on the air now together. And and Leslie apologizes for unintentionally misleading the citizens of Pawnee. And she owns up to being born in Eagleton. (laughs) But (laughs) she follows up by paraphrasing what Chris said. It's Mm. not where you're born. It's where you're from. And she goes on to describe many people and and places and, and memories that are unique to Pawnee that she made growing up here, you know, and and she sums it up by saying the point is you can't choose where you were born, but you can choose where you live. I love this town. I always have. I always will. And that's why I wrote a book about it. And that's why I'm running for city council. And everybody applauds. Yep. Like that was a great, yep. great end to Jones annoyance. Oh, yeah. Just don't yeah. too loud. Too loud. Why is it thundering? Mission fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she did good there. She did really good there. I, I love the little interchange with her and Joan 
you know, where she starts off saying, you know, it's not where you're from. Uh, it's not where you're born. It's where you're from. And she says, you know, when I was nine years old, I broke my arm sliding on that giant hill behind Kernston's rebel nipple factory. You know, nipple hill. Of course. <laughs> it gets very slippery there. I know that. Especially when it's wet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that. I haven't looked at the gag reel for this episode, Mark, but I have to believe that that was a difficult one to get through. I think you're probably right. But I do really like this scene. And I think it's, you know, it's Leslie taking Chris's sage advice and Leslie-fying it um, to explain why Pawnee is that important to her and how she, even though she's sorry, she made a mistake. She knows she did, uh, but it doesn't matter. She's she's who she is and she loves Pawnee and she's running for council. And Leslie is usually pretty good at at leading herself in the right direction. But every now and again, she mm. needs her support system yep. to just kind of nudge her in the yep. right direction. And then she's right yep. back to it. We referred to them as Team Leslie. Yep. yep. And that's exactly what, what it is in this case. Yep. Well, Mark, in the final scene before our kicker, uh, Leslie has basically achieved what she hoped, despite the controversy once again. And, and Mark, how about if we play this clip and then fill in the visual gaps for our viewers? Let's do it. All right. I love this town. I always have. I always will. And that's why I wrote a book about it. And that's why I'm running for city council. Look, I'm not crazy. I know Pawnee is in Paris or London or Chicago, but it's a great place to live and work. And serving the goofballs in this town is an honor and a privilege. And yes, every town claims its diner's waffles are the best in the world. But somewhere in some town, there really are the best waffles in the world. So delicious and rich and golden brown that anyone who tasted them would decide never to leave that town. Somewhere those waffles exist. Why can't it be here? There, there's a lot about that that I really, really like. You know, first, in just in a very general sense, I, I like whenever they show the entire gang hanging out or celebrating together, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it makes them, feels good. Yeah. Makes them very much seem like a, a family, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, they, they had that moment here. They're all celebrating with waffles yeah. uh, in the background. With, there was with, a syrup toast and whipped cream. <laughs> yeah. Even Chris Traeger was eating waffles. Well, and that's what I was going to say. There are the few things I wanted to point out that that visually came across. So it's one of these while she's doing the voiceover with the talking yeah. head, there are things occurring in the background. So a, a montage, a montage. So uh, what we saw here amongst other things are we actually see Ron pour syrup on Anne's waffles and they mm. share a brief smile indicating that maybe Ron is not quite as standoffish as he was letting on. Exactly. She, she might've broken through the atmosphere there a little, a little bit. Yeah. Gross medical story. Huzzah. Um, <laughs> you see Ben pat Tom's shoulder and you see him mouth the words good job man mm. which i thought was kind of nice that you mm-hmm. know that the, he the decisions he made regarding joan yeah. you know um you see to your point alan we see leslie offer waffles to chris and he graciously tries to turn them down initially but then eventually he ends up eating them and oh he's loving it yeah he, can, he loves it um you see leslie and ron kind of click syrup containers together in this little salute to one another um you see April and Andy kind of cozied up together, eating waffles while reading Leslie's book. Uh, you see Leslie and Ben kind of glance at each other and share a little bittersweet smile, which mm. I thought was a nice, subtle little acknowledgement of their yeah. prior relationship without going overboard. Yep. You Just know? to remind us that that's out there. Yep. 
That's exactly right. And then finally, uh, as the talking head draws to a close, we see Leslie at her desk. You know, she's reading from it to us and she shows us the front of her book, which has Joan's enormous book club (laughs) sticker on it. And then she turns the book around and it has Joan's gotcha sticker on it, which she could have done without. Look, it's a fair compromise because both happened. Yeah, that's true. So we will persevere, Mark. That's right. Yep, absolutely. You know, the other thing I, I liked about that scene, you know, outside of all the things you kind of mentioned, which is, you know, the tonality of it and all that, you know, it's really just a, a leaves you with a really good kind of we overcame adversity together kind of feel. And I think that's one of the things that really stands out in the show that when they succeed as a team, which I think kind of happened here, uh, they celebrate as a team. So it's kind of nice. You know, what? I completely agree. And the other thing I want to say about this scene as well is that, um, they didn't have to have this scene for any humor reasons. As a matter of fact, if you just strictly look at the scene and the contents of it, it's not necessarily funny. It's well done. It's enjoyable. More heartfelt. Absolutely. And informational. We learned that JJ's delivers. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I've come to the point in watching this, this series that I, I, I want this sort of scene Every now and again. Yeah, it's 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 fitting. And and I don't care that it's not necessarily funny. It's good. Yeah. It's not just about the jokes. No. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Good point, Mark. Well, all that's left at this point is the kicker. And of course, as the gang has celebrated Leslie's victory, Jerry returns. That's right. We see Jerry enter the bullpen like a house of fire. He's very excited. Oh, he, yeah. he tells Leslie, 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 uh, here's everything I was able to accomplish out on the road. I interviewed all the people that you mentioned and not one incorrect fact is resurfaced. And I'm going to get ready to head back out on the road and interview the other towns in the southeast. But before I go, uh, is there anything I should know about any new info? And Leslie kind of looks at him and pauses for a few seconds and says, Nope, you're doing great. <laughs> Godspeed. Then Jerry leaves, you know, hey, Ron, Donna, I can't talk. You know, he's he, 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 he bustles yeah. out and Donna kind of looks at Leslie and she's she's he just seems so happy. Yeah. And she says, uh, you know, I didn't say anything. It's almost like he had a purpose. He felt really good about his purpose. He did. I mean, he's been to Indianapolis, Bloomington, Lafayette, Muncie, Gary and all the places she mentioned in her book. Despite the fact that he's been away from his wife, Gail, and despite the fact that he missed yeah. his daughter's birthday. Well, he is going to at least say belated happy birthday to her before he gets back on the road. That's nice. <laughs> poor Jerry. Uh, poor Jerry. Uh, fade to black. Fade to black. Yeah. All right. Well, nice job, Mark, as always. And uh, thanks to our, our viewers for sticking in. Let's take a real quick break. We'll come back. We'll do our, our fun stuff here at the end. We'll give a score and we'll all go home. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back, everybody. everybody. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you, as always, to our newest sponsor, Karenston's Rubber Nipples. We've got the nipples, baby. Well, welcome to Pawnee Public Radio's newest segment, Three Q's and Two A's, the show where we ask our special guests three questions and allow them to answer two of their choice. I'm Derry Merbles, continuing to fill in for David Parker, who, as you may recall, went on a three-month assignment to study the migration patterns of our nation's squirrels. I'm happy to report that after six months on the road, a case of endemic typhus 
and three months of antibiotic-fueled bed rest, David is expected back later this week. All right, let's get right to it. Our special guest today is Ron Swanson, here today to talk about a new podcast about life in Pawnee, aptly called Live from Pawnee. Uh, please hold. Our producer is talking into my ear goggles, as my friends from the Beastie Boys would say. What's that? Oh, okay, yes. Sorry, folks, I'm being told that Mr. Swanson was not able to make it today and that the show has instead sent their own producer, who is also the newest member of their team, Harvey Patterson. Welcome, Harvey. Well, hello there yourself, Mr. Murble Mumbles, and let me tell you, when in the studio, I always spin the dial while talking in a circle, because otherwise, where do you put the corners? Do you know? I bet you do. Geometry. Uh-huh. Well, Harvey, here is the first of my three cues, or, or questions, and you can choose to answer this one or pass. But if you pass, you'll need to answer the two remaining questions. Got it? Well, sure enough, Murble Mumbles, that's the way the cookie crumbles. When you get a song like that in your head, three questions asking, two answers giving, and one Murbles and me. You don't get a Grammy for wanting an Oscar, even if you are Felix. Odd couple. <laughs> yes, yes we are. I understand that Live from Pawnee is a podcast about the hit show Parks and Recreation, which of course is based on life here in the real town of Pawnee, Indiana. Tell us what you think the show's creators, Mark and Alan, hope that their listeners will take away from this podcast. Sure thing, I'll tell you, Mr. Mumbles. Whenever Mark and Alan have listeners, they're probably viewers, and even so, sometimes they want the magic of Pawnee, and sometimes they just want a cool card trick, or a rabbit out of the hat, or in the forest. Either way, you tune in for the forest and not the trees, no matter how much wood a woodchuck chucks. And with my back to the wall, if I'm perfectly honest, I rather doubt the woodchuck chucks would go gophers. Yes, go gophers indeed. Well, Harvey, you're filling in for Ron Swanson today, who is, of course, both a fictional character and, as it turns out, a real-life person. If I'm not mistaken, I saw him dropping you off today. If he drove here, couldn't he just come upstairs and do the interview himself? No comment means big pass, mumble fumble. Just because maybe you do or don't like the guy, that's hardly a reason to call a man fictional, much less a character. No matter the strength of the mustache or the direction of the weather vane, his face always points due north. Walk north, walk south, walk like a man, talk like a man, carry on my wayward son, Kansas. Well, I think you said that you were going to pass on this one. I can't be sure, but let's assume so. And that means that you will need to answer this next and final question. Harvey, I understand you are new to the podcast, but have a rich history, which includes both radio and television production. Why choose a podcast at this point in your career? Well, I tell you, my career is just one long string of jobs held together by the duct tape of employment. One town is very like another when your head's down over a pizza, brother. In this game, we're all players, and when I play to win, I turn off the TV. Understand? I don't need that kind of pressure. And there you are with your Peter Pan advice. After all, Murbley, if radio is the theater of the mind, wouldn't you have to admit that podcasts are the VCR tapes of the soul? Thoughts for your thoughts. 
<laughs> I see what you did there. Well, I believe we're going to count that as an answer regardless. Thanks to my special guest today, Harvey Patterson of Live from Pawnee. Join us next week with your regular host and three new questions for Pawnee's own local celebrity, Joan Calamezzo, who has been known to ask a few cues of her own. <laughs> Thank you and good day, Pawnee. Joan gotcha! All right, everybody, we're back. Well, Mark, real quick, I'll go through our deleted scenes as we usually do. We've got about six minutes and 13 seconds here, roughly nine scenes, depending on how you count. Mm -hmm. And like always, I think some of these were, were pretty funny, but you can see why they just weren't funny enough to make the cut. I, there was a one funny one where we talk about how waffles sell books. I thought that was pretty oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, but the other one was funny enough that I think we should probably play it. And this is a, it just think in your head of that moment you've had in your life where the situation was so bad, you would do pretty much anything to get out of it. Yep. That's enough dancing. Let's just we walk out. Will you grab that shoe? Because you're going to wear that later. Hey, I got a Captain Kirk outfit at home for you. You are going to find my tribbles. Oh. <laughs> okay, I saw some windows with lift and turn latches. They're about four paces from the men's restroom door. I could be out of here in like 10, 15 seconds. I saw at the hostess station, they have matches. I could light the trash bin on fire. <laughs> out of there in eight seconds. I can order shellfish. I'm allergic to shellfish. I could go into anaphylactic shock. Ambulance would be here in like, what, four minutes? <sighs> Worst comes to worse, I can just run outside and start screaming for the cops, right? I don't know, I'll think of something. <laughs> Mark, Mark, I don't want to get us off topic, but there was a time we went whale watching in Maine. I'm just gonna say like a couple things. Uh, the boat was going like 50 knots, which is pretty fast smashing the waves it was a windy day there was no horizon i was sitting backwards and there were no effing whales there was however a line of people vomiting at the rail of the boat i was one of them my wife was one of them because i was rationalizing mark if i jump over the rail i either die or how long would it take a helicopter to get here how long how far are we from the mainland yeah anyway this scene reminds me of that i was pretty desperate Oh, that's that's a that's quite a story yeah. there. Yeah. So anyway. Wow. Do you usually get seasick? Uh, only under those conditions. Wow. And it was pretty bad. Yikes. Sit forward. Do it on a sunny day. And if you see a whale, great. If you don't, no big deal. But you won't want to die. I think I'll just look up a picture of a whale. Better idea. <laughs> the internet has lots of them. Yes. Highly recommended. There you go. Well, anyway, Mark, I think the, the deleted scenes are worth a watch if you have the DVDs as always. So how about uh, tropes first and fun facts, Mark? I had a, a, a couple of firsts and, and quite a few tropes. Um, okay. The the first maybe it cheats actually, because it's like, I usually don't do a first unless it's one, it's a continuation. So meh, but is so that I, a first then? Wouldn't that make it a second? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. So we, <laughs> we, we learned that Leslie was born in Eagleton. Yes. I, I can't remember if this comes up again, but meh, we'll, we'll say it's a first. Okay. The other one is we learned that Joan is divorcing her husband. Again, mm, I, can't, I can't remember if it comes yeah. up again, but meh, maybe. Okay. Those are the only two firsts that I have. I had the, our first visit to Pawnee Public Radio or Wamapoke County Public Radio. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because we'll see them again. Um, we learned that Leslie's middle name is Barbara. I'm pretty sure we did not know that going into this episode. I could be wrong on that one. I missed that. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So yeah. Leslie Barber Nope. Huh. And mentions her parents' name and the fact, of course, she was born in Eagleton. <laughs> yeah. So how about tropes, Mark? 
What you All got? right. I I had a lot of tropes, actually. And and I, I thought of a few while I was driving into the studio, believe it oh, or nice. not. Um, well, let me give my two. And okay. then you can give your giant list. That way you, you're going to seem better than me either way, but it hurts me less to do it in this order. Okay. So I only had two. Yeah. I had our, our, our PBJ. We had various PBJ moments of Punching yes. Back Jerry, of course. Yes. And very funny ones. And, and of course, I think this is the second appearance of our Joan Gotchas. Is it? Yeah. I believe that at least, I don't remember if we had the gotcha dancers last time, but I remember the gotcha journalism thing. Oh, it was Harvest Joan. Festival. It was Harvest Festival. Oh, yeah. nice. I'd yeah. forgotten about that. So yeah. I, that's a trope. Very good. All right. Well, I only had- Well, shoot, one. I should have gone last then. Yeah, you should. I well, only had one of those. Okay. So nice. I, I missed the, the the gotcha. You're exactly yeah. right. So I, I have a few that I think I think we've talked about before, but I don't know if we've ever called them full-blown tropes. Okay. So the first one I want to say is FWN, fun with names. So <laughs> Mike Shore obviously likes to Clearly. use fun and ridiculous names. Like yes. The Wendell G. and Muriel Faithright Corbelman <laughs> found it. <laughs> Derry Murbles. David Bian Cooley, Richard Chang Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, these are all. Well, hold on. David Bian Cooley is a real one. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I know. Are you okay? okay. It's still ridiculous. It, it is. I, I mean, he saying. is always being filled in by for or with someone else. Oh, yeah. That whole scene just is hilarious because oh. it's, I love public radio and love it or not, yeah. that is true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so fun with names. I say ding, initial trope there. Yep. Right. Um, I'm going to say a WWR, Woodworking Ron. Oh, I like that. Because we've yeah. talked about how he's really like, he's almost Leslie level superhuman when it comes to woodworking. And good point. this wasn't a big one for that. No. That, that flute in yeah. two hours from a stick. Yeah. I say it qualifies. If he were Batman, <laughs> he would not eat, need Alfred. He would just whittle everything out of wood. Right. He said, get me a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I almost vomited. <laughs> well, don't ride backwards when you're doing the, the show. Oh, All, right. Mark. All right. Please continue. <laughs> All right. So we got woodworking rod. Um, next is something I think we've had before, but I just can't remember what we called it. And I called it perfect Eagleton. What, what have we called it before? Because I know we've talked about this. Snobby Eagleton? I don't know. I th probably Snooty Eagleton, but we could just call it Eagleton Schmeagleton. All right. I like yeah. that. Eagleton yeah. Schmeagleton. Done. Um, I had a, I wanted to call it Joni Loves Chachi <laughs> just because I'm old. But instead, I think Joni Loves Tom. Because we, we've had that before, I think. We've yeah, talked about yeah, how yeah, they have yeah. a very, you know, typical level of gross going on between them. I mean, <laughs> with their Tom flirting. is cute with everyone, Mark, but yeah. especially with John. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess this isn't really a trope, but I said Burt Macklin. Yeah. FBI. I mean, yeah. He's yeah. a recurring character of a nature. <laughs> um, delightful. Um, Pawnee raccoon infestation. Oh, the yeah. reason that Marlene went trope. to had yes. to go to have Leslie birthed Ugh. in Eagleton there. Um, and then I had a, a Ben mugs to the camera. So like when Chris is talking about speed reading, Ben kind of like doing <laughs> looks right at the camera. Many moments. And, of it, and, yeah. um, also, there is a, I think there is a Biggie Ben doesn't get it. I think we even talked about we it when they're talking this. about Joan's book club. And he's yep. like, Joan has a book club? And they kind of look at him like, where really? have you been? Right, right. What planet are you from? So, yeah, that's my list. Nice list. Well, Mark, I didn't have any goofs. Did you? I had no goofs. I had uh, a few fun facts. What do you got? Um, I, I know that in the last two, I know you're going to love this, Alan. Mm. I did this one just for you. Uh, I know in the last two episodes, and really this one as well, we've we've kind of poked eh, a little bit of fun at Rob Lowe's hair. Yes, we have. And 
I thought it was a little better in this episode, like a little bit, maybe. But but I, I, they found the comb, but it broke halfway through combing his hair. I think I think we found out what's going on. Oh, okay. So I'm the, anxious the, to hear in this. general. So it, it apparently at the start of season four. It overlapped with Rob Lowe filming a, a Lifetime movie where he was playing Drew Peterson and uh, he with very different hair. Yes. And so I, right. I think once we get past that, I'll call it an overlap period. Yeah, okay. I think things should hopefully uh, get, get back to normal. So, yeah. Nice. This is like uh, season three of The Office when John Krasinski wore a wig because he had already started doing the John Ryan thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jack Ryan. That one, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whatever Alfredo it takes. Alfredo Alfonso, whatever it takes. <laughs> um, also, uh, I, I think this is an easy one. You, Ron's mustache is noticeably thinner. Yes, it in is. Because because the previous episode was back. was where he cleanly shaved it yeah. off. So, yeah. You know, just takes him at least an it's hour. It's still quite manly, but you're oh, right. Yeah. It's not full on Swanson. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's not yet Samson-esque. It's just, you know, normal <laughs> mortal mustache. Mortal looking. mustache. Um, and then the only other one I had was... Uh, uh, when when Andy as Burt Macklin jumped over the counter at the county records office, uh, he he uh, broke the computer monitor. And apparently oh, yeah. that was really an accident. And the, the look of shock from Amy Poehler was actually real. <laughs> and they decided to use that take. So I thought that was pretty funny. That's great. How about you? I had I had two fun facts. One, we've kind of already alluded to, you know, the book that they mentioned actually is a real book. Oh, yeah. They get yeah. produced. That, and, yeah, and that's right. We'll put up a link to that on our on our website and our socials for you. But, but so pick up that book. Yep. Um, the other one was that, you know, when Ben, there's this dialogue about Star Trek and how nerdy it is and stuff. And, you know, uh, Ben actually, Adam Scott, the actor Adam Scott, actually appeared in Star Trek First Contact back in 1996. He had a very oh, small part. that's right. He was in there. Yeah. So. I did know that. Yeah. Just Interesting. Kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, I think that does it for first tropes, fun facts, deleted scenes and such. Should we get into our score? Let's get into the score. Let's and do bang, it. Bang. All right. Well, Alan, as I always like to say over the last few times, at least, we're, we're now both submitting choices for MVP. And yeah. I, I know that you're always calling me a, a, a hopeless, uh, you know, Nick Offerman fanboy. And of course, that's ridiculous. Well, my MVP for this episode is, see, you think you know what I'm going to do. And actually, I know what you did last week. No, I'm not going to do it. Oh. I was I was a little inspired by your MVP choice last week. You copied me. I don't I don't look at it like that. I I, I it's an homage. So I homage the hell out of it, and and, and j just like last week, you gave your MVP choice rightly so to yeah. guest star Patricia Clarkson. Yep. So I found myself being a little bit more open to giving it to a guest star, and my MVP for this episode is Mo Collins as Joan Calamezzo. I, I think that this is perhaps. The the best uh, Joan Calamezzo episode to date, uh, it, and she was on fire. I mean, you name it: physical comedy, improv. Uh, you know, she 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 just she could do it all, and she did. I know you can't see my screen, but my MVP, Mo Collins. Get out of here! No joke. Wow. What to do now? I so, <laughs> so it's a, well. Let's talk about so it. So let's talk about why I did it yeah. first. And so, so Joan, Joan may not be the glue of the. I mean, we talked about how Leslie yeah, is often yeah, the glue, yeah. right? So Joan may not be the glue of the show, but I feel like for this episode more than anyone else, she kind of rose out of what could be considered her typical role, right? And yes. she provided us with hysterical, funny moments, great physical humor, yep. gave some details about her, her home and private we'll life. a little backstory. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think firmly established herself even more as the Oprah of, of Pawnee. Um, 
So a, a few additional notes. I, I really, really, really like the cold open. We've talked about it a little bit. It, it served up the plot. It was funny and made great use of uh, Dan Castaneda as the monotone host for thoughts for your thoughts. I, I thought it also served to further flesh out Pawnee as a living, breathing town. It's interesting to hear, you know, uh, Pawnee Community Radio, and it presented us with a radio alternative to Crazy Ira and the douche. Um, use of comedic bench. <sighs> Not the best. I found that yeah. that Jerry and Donna, again, sadly, were were, were a bit uh, lacking. And, and while this was a great episode, I don't like that particular trend because they're very funny. And I like it when they get their their moments. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Donna, especially Jerry, at least had a few lines here and there. Um, and, and I think at least part of this could be explained by by, you know, Joan Calamezzo being the guest star, blah, blah, blah. But. Also, from a plot perspective, the fact that Leslie sent Jerry off on the road. I mean, I get it, but I, I kind of wish they had had more Donna and Jerry apart from them. It was actually not not bad split, you know, but but still not not their best. Um, I thought this was uh, I already said this. It was a fantastic Jim Calamazo episode, probably her best one to date, maybe through the entire series. Um, I I. I really like scenes with April and Ron. I talked about this before. This was no exception. It's great to see how April and Ron both individually, they they dislike interacting with most people. And yet they, between the two of them, are able to enjoy what I would call a companionable silence with one another. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of Ron and April, I love, love, love the scene where Ron explains when people get too chummy with me, I like to call them by the wrong name. You know, let them know doesn't care about him. And April sitting next to him uses the trick on him immediately, call him Lester. And he closes <laughs> his eyes with this huge silent grin on his face. Again, talk about a proud papa moment. Mm -hmm. I love it. She's truly the daughter he never had. Um, one more nod to Joan Calamezzo and, and really bleeped cursing in general. I think having a string of uninterrupted bleeps is often far more funny than hearing the, the real thing. Because all you have to go off of is your imagination. Um, I mean, I howled at what it, when she described what she wanted to do with Tom and Ben because I didn't know what it was. I but I, I mean, I was kind of afraid to know. Yep. Um, I actually, I actually literally, Ann Perkins, I actually did a fist pump and said yes when Andy revealed the triumphant return of Burt Macklin FBI. Once I knew he was on the case, I knew that Leslie was going to get that birth certificate. I was worried that he was dead. Well, I thought it was going to be Kip, Kip Hackman. Kip Hackman, yeah. But it's not. Um, <laughs> speaking of Andy, I absolutely adore Chris Pratt's physical humor and the way he does his own stunts, the way he falls over things. I, Alan, I like to imagine that somewhere in an alternate timeline, maybe on the uh, series Loki, uh, the world ends up naming Pratt Falls after Chris Pratt. Wow. Yeah. Huh? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this episode, you and I already talked about this, but this episode had a really, really sweet ending. Leslie's words about the world's best waffles and how, you know, somewhere those waffles exist. Why can't it be here? It really made me kind of want to live in Pawnee mm. like every time they they further flesh out the town it establishes it as the most lovable insane asylum ever <laughs> I kind of want to move there um we never did figure out who gave the tip no we never figured out what who dirty dog did that I know dirty dog um <laughs> dirty dog I think I think if I were watching the show for the first time my guess might have been Lindsay Carlisle Shea 
But I think that we already kind of talked this through a little bit in the season three episode appropriately named Eagleton, that it was unfortunately a one and done for Parker Posey. So I don't I don't think that this is her parting shot, though. Maybe. Right. I'd like to think so. Somebody clearly with access to the Eagleton record system. Holy cow. Yeah. So. All right. So now under the crazy Mark rubric. Yep. I'm going to give this a 4.5 base score. Uh, I like the way all three of these stories were at least somewhat intertwined together. You and I joked about this a little bit in the beginning, but I thought all three were were interesting and at least engaging to some extent. Um, I'm going to give half a point to the great performance by episode MVP Mo Collins. I mean, the, by her nature, she's not going to drive a plot line on by herself the way maybe Leslie could, but she still did an awesome oh, job yeah, in this definitely. episode. So half a point for her alone. Um, I'm also going to give half a point for uh, Amy Poehler as Leslie Nope, keeping all the storylines flowing together. I think she played a very important job or role rather i'm going to give half a point for the cold open alone i love them embracing the whole npr aesthetic with pawnee community radio i'm going to give half a point to the whole restaurant scene at alfonso's where joan gets drunk tom gets nervous ben gets nerdy followed by the by the i can't unsee that moments of being privy to the inside of joan calamezzo's bedroom i'm going to give half a point to the return of burt macklin fbi because you know deserving i'm gonna give half a point for leslie chris and andy working together in evil eagleton to get her (laughs) birth certificate especially andy's physical comedy i'm gonna give half a point for (laughs) the crowd heckling leslie at the book reading which like we talked about is almost an impromptu version of a pawnee town hall i really liked it I'm going to give half a point for what I know I've mentioned at least twice already. Ron's proud Papa moment when April calls him Lester. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm going to give one more half point for the very sweet and satisfying ending. No pun intended with the waffles Um, with Leslie reading from her book and getting the sticker from Joan and everybody celebrating together in the bullpen with waffles like the family they are. Like I even noticed Ron pouring syrup on Anne's waffles, showing he's he's you know not quite as hateful towards her as one might think. So you total all those crazy points up, and that comes up to nine little Sebastians for me. I really like this episode. You know, it's it's definitely not a, a, a 10, but it's a really, really strong episode. Um, that's it for me. What you got? Nice job. Well, I think, you know, I'll remind our viewers that last week we both struggled a little bit with, uh, you know, basically there were three plot lines. Mm -hmm. We agreed on that and that one was strong as all get out and the other two were meh. Yeah. 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 That didn't happen this week. No. Um, I'd say there were, you know, with the various splinters, let's just say there were two equally divergent plot lines, right? Maybe three. Um, And yet, for whatever reason, it didn't feel like they were competing with themselves and we didn't have that imbalance this week. So this week felt more balanced is the best way to say it. So that's kind of where, you know, I started as I was thinking about how am I going to score this specific episode? I did like several things about this episode overall, like the sense of family that kind of happens at the end. I thought that was really important and a great way to end this episode and remind us here kind of still early in season for how far we've come uh, from the early days of the Parks and Rec crew where, you know, Leslie's a bit of a goofball, 
Um, she couldn't, in, you know, endear that kind of commitment from the team, the way they wrote her in the early days. And that we just like this Leslie a lot more, you know, she's a much more likable character. Um, the way they've developed her specifically, I think, is the reason that the show is as successful as it is. Yeah. Um, I would say this concept of Leslie um, overcomes adversity, right? I mean, we we are Leslie, so therefore we overcome adversity mm-hmm. when we see her overcome adversity. So it just, we were there rooting for her a lot like her support team is. I think that, you know, this is definitely by far, so far at least, the best of the Joan Calamezzo episodes. Uh, Mo Collins is just amazingly terrific in this one. I had honestly forgotten. Um, I wish we'd gotten a chance to talk to her about this specific episode. But Me too. I, but at the time, you know, we were pretty focused on the season two episodes. And uh, I think if we looked forward and we were smarter people, if I was a smarter person, <laughs> I would have noted this specific episode as one we needed to talk to her about because it was so focused on her character. It was one of those rare moments where somebody who's a regular guest star got a lot more character depth than normal. Right. We'll never see this for Kyle at the shoeshine booth, for example. Oh, that's true. Uh, And that's okay. (laughs) And Joan was your choice for MVP as well. She was my choice for MVP. Absolutely. Uh, And for all those reasons, Andy's physical comedy is terrific. It's very slapstick. um, And it reminds me of almost a Farley-esque comedy, (laughs) if you will. Yeah. Jones, on the other hand, is still really funny, and I think it's a little more classical and a little more Dick Van Dykean, if you will. Mm. And I think that's high compliment because he was a very funny physical comedian. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But it's it's slightly different than the full-on pratfall type yeah. comedy that we see with Mr. Pratt. Right. Yeah. So both good, but different. And Yeah, uh, Pratt's more Tommy boy. Tommy boy. Yeah. <laughs> I got in the car the other day. There was a deer in the back seat. Oh my God. <clears throat> I love the Ron and April mentorship, as I call it. Um, again, I think this is that moment where Ron realized that the time he's invested in grooming April uh, to be the next generation of I hate everybody um, is really paying off. Yep. You know, the Lester thing was just hysterical. And we kind of saw this a little bit when April became Ron 2.0 when he was gone. Yeah. With the coffee cup pose and that. Yeah. No, that was terrific. I forgot about that. Um, I love Dan Castellaneta on the, oh, the yeah. public radio piece. And we'll, we'll see. I believe we see him again in the future. That, that That's a pretty funny segment. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I love the Footloose reference. Let's oh, yeah. For the boys. Let's hear it for yeah. the boys. And, and this show has used a lot of those references where they're just a single one-liner throwaway, but they're funny, you know, and they fit the scene. Everybody so. prance now. Yes. <laughs> Last week's. <laughs> so good. But Mark, all those things add up to basically to say that, you know, while I felt like last week's episode was weak and I, I rated it at 8.5, this was not a 10. Um, yet I felt like it came together better. And I think if with a few extra moments, I could have seen going as high as a nine five, but I gave this one a nine. I felt like it was a really solid nine. Um, and a lot of that rests on the breakout uh, performance of uh, Mo Collins. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I agree with you most of all that I was right, um, as always. I love how you pick out the things you want to hear. Well, it's it's survival. Look, life's messy. Huh. 
No, Alan, I think that that was really good. I, I, I agree, as always, with all your well-reasoned points. Uh, Especially when they match yours. Yeah, w- the fact that I'm right mm-hmm. makes your description so much more attractive to me. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I think that Mo Collins was great, as always. This was really a breakout episode for her. You know, and I, I mean, honestly, I'm trying to think forward into the episodes of season four and the future seasons this this may be her best performance uh to date and and maybe in the series ever like i'm struggling to to think if there's another episode where it's such a strong joan episode it's kind of hard to imagine that there would be one and yet i know that she mo collins is going to be in a good number of remaining episodes so yeah that's true yeah we'll absolutely see and like I said, we'll we'll see some of the other uh, breakout standout characters from this episode as well. So looking forward to that. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, uh, thanks for as always for for doing that with us. Uh, I, I like where we wound up. I like the fact that I was right and that you were right <laughs> alongside of me. Uh, we agree on both our score and our MVP. So I know. That's pretty good. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. almost unprecedented. That's a good way to start the year. I agree. Let's see where we go from here. Happy 2022, everyone. That's right. Why try? Yeah, why try? <laughs> that's the theme that is our theme yep well we'll be back next week with season four episode four pawnee rangers that's right yeah possibly a rontastic episode we will see we will see what will happen (laughs) (laughs) that's your stick that's right all right well thanks everybody for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next week why try i mean goodbye everyone bye everyone Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us. I'm worse than a liar. I'm an... Eagletonian! <laughs> <laughs>